0: Well, I want to welcome all the people who are watching online and um, who are our satellite groups that meet around the um, city, as well as our San Diego peeps, and we got people in Georgia and all over. So thank you for being a part of the Bible study, and thank you guys for being here with us. We are, if you've turned to page nine in your study guide, there's a notes page there, Um and we are in Romans twelve one and 2. If you were on retreat with us, you know that we spoke about Romans twelve one and 2. That was kind of the foundation of that weekend. If you weren't on retreat, we will have the audio of those talks hopefully up soon. Um, but I want to just... Uh, I want to read this passage and then kind of tell you where we're headed this morning. So Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, therefore, and then when we're studying the Bible and we see a therefore, what do we do? what is it there for? We ask the question, what's it there for? Always good. And then if you're reading it on your own, what I would encourage you to do when you see a therefore is look back. Look back at what was just said, you know, or all the way back. And, and for Paul here, he's really, I think, hearkening all the way back to Romans 1 through Romans 11. And he's saying, therefore, because of, basically, because of what I've just told you, because of what I've told you that that God has accomplished in Christ because i've told you that in christ you are redeemed because i've told you that in christ you've been rescued that you've been set free from sin to live a life alive to god to live in freedom because i've told you that you have a god who has given you the holy spirit to live in you romans chapter 8 and that's how you walk and live this life out because i've told you and we're skipping now. 9, 10, and 11, but because I've told you of God's sovereignty, I've told you that God holds all of this together, because I've told you in chapter 11 that God, and he repeats the word mercy, mercy, mercy multiple times in that chapter, because I've told you that God is merciful, I want to urge you. I want to passionately plead with you I'm not commanding you but I want to I want to plead with you as brothers and sisters as the family of God I'm I'm pleading you as with you as followers of Christ when he uses the language of brothers and sisters he's saying you are in Christ you are in Christ and so this is what I want for you I want you in view of God's mercy again in view of everything I've just told you of who God is, and what God has done. I want you to offer your bodies or your whole self as a living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you want to know what worship is? It's not just singing. It is singing, but it's not just singing. It's offering all of yourself. So, verse 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I love this because I think oftentimes I, I, I reverse the order, and that's why I get stuck. So I, I look at it and I say, if I could know God's will, then I will... <laughs> I will not conform to the way of the world. I will conform to his will when I know it, when it's fully clear, when it's been written on my wall, and then I will offer myself. And I love that what Paul's saying here is hey, because of what God has done, go ahead and offer yourself a living sacrifice. You are safe in him. You know what he's done for you. You know his character, his sovereignty, his providence, his care for you. Go ahead and offer yourself a living sacrifice. Go ahead and commit yourself to not conforming to the world, but transforming your mind. And then you're going to know his will. His will is going to show up as you move, as you take action. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to, we kind of on retreat we focused on verse 1 and the offering of our bodies and in having a view of God and his mercy. So we're going to focus on verse 2, and we're going to look at, kind of break it down into three things. We're going to look at first the do not conform to the pattern of the world. Then we're going to talk about being transformed. And then we're going to talk about renewing of the mind. So the first thing is... Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And, and I found that as I was studying this, really what was helpful for me was to look at other translations. Because the language there is, is, is it's clear. I mean, it's straight up, right? But there's some other translations that kind of put it, help me apply it in a way. And so uh, you've got those here. But I love the way the Jerusalem Bible says it this way. Do not model yourselves on the behavior of the world around you. And that's subtle, isn't it? It's hard not to do that. The Living Bible. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Because the the word world there really is better translated age. So don't, don't... don't copy the behavior and customs of your culture of this particular age. Everyone lives in a particular culture with a particular season of the world, this age, this time. Don't, don't copy that behavior, right? And my favorite is J.B. Phillips, which I was introduced to when I was a very uh, new Christian in 1980. Um says this, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, Don't let the world around you put a vice on you and squeeze you in to the expectation of the world. And certainly, let me say this, um, the invitation of Scripture is not to just completely pull away from the world and go live in isolation. But how do we live in the world, but not of the world, if you will? How do I live in this world and take the good? There's so much good. There's, you know, imitate laughter. That's a good thing to imitate. Imitate joy. Imitate gratitude, right? But what, what, what Paul's saying is don't, don't let the, the world around you, the, the values of the world that are contradictory to the grace and the truth of God don't let those things be the thing that squeezes you in. And I love what um, how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He says it so beautifully. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And y'all, that's my story, right? It's not like you woke up today and you said, I'm going to let the world squeeze me in, you know. I'm going to just conform to everybody I work with. I'm going to just be just like my neighbors. No. We're not even thinking, but that's what I did last night before I went to bed, (laughs) right? Don't look at your phone before bed, Cheryl. That's like, oh, yeah. Social media, emails, YouTube, your binge watch, right? My binge watch, all those things. And again, and I love, I love art. I love movies. I love independent films. I would love, I watch things. You guys would be like, a pastor should not watch that. Okay, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, the, the, the challenge is the invitation, because I do, personally, I do believe that fiction, I believe that story grows empathy in us, um, speaks things into us, and, and we can be captivated and caught up in the beauty of God and good uh, fiction, good story. But if it's starting to creep into my worldview in the sense of that I'm now drifting from biblical truth and Jesus then I probably need to stop the binge watch on that one right there have been things that I really truly have just said I can't watch that it for my soul for the ways that I'm tempted I can't watch that now I I, there's other things again that I I can I feel comfortable and I feel like I can you know process it and watch it and those kind of things and so um Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Be a thinker. And I think that's sometimes what the church has done when we've said we just have to isolate from the world because we still don't want to think. Be a thinker. Process. Don't just agree with everything you see or hear or whatever, whether it's from the world or from the church, right? Because ultimately what we want is to hear the voice of God. We're going to talk more about that. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's where lasting change comes, right? Readily recognize that God what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Quickly respond to it. That. That's such a good word, quickly. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And that's what we want. We want God to do a work in us. And so I have a question. I'm going to give you a few questions along the way, just what I would call a spiritual formation question. I'm not going to answer it. It's that I believe truly, and, and, you know, we talked last session and we're talking this session about transformation. Now we're talking about living the gospel. How do we change? How do we live that out? And I find that oftentimes where I am most invited to transformation and change is through the questions not just the answers. So I want to give you some questions uh, to consider and so for this one in not being conformed to the pattern of the world you might process this with your group you might process it on your own later but the question is where am I conforming to this world? We're all doing it right. No one's got this down perfect or if you do gosh please come tap me. Um, But where am I conforming to this world? Have I let the voice of culture be louder than the voice of God? That's my question that I want to sit in. Is social media louder than the Holy Spirit? Am I even, because I think we can even have the culture of the church that can set us up Am I abusing grace, the doctrine of grace and putting it over truth? Or am I abusing the doctrine of truth and putting it over grace? Or am I moving into a place where I'm living in the stream just like Jesus who came in grace and truth? And I'm walking that out and I'm moving more to a to a, a movement of I I've I see God's grace in his truth, and I see his truth in his grace. Right. So that's your question for that one. Uh, the second uh, thing is be transformed. He says be transformed, right, by the renewing of your mind. But I want to camp on be transformed for a second because here's the thing. I, I think I read this. I don't know. I don't think I came up with this on my own. I think I read this someplace. But um, conformity happens outwardly and it corrodes us inwardly right conformity is it's rooted in performance it's it's rooted in seeking to blend in it's rooted in in a in a broken sense of need for, belong. we all need to belong, but it's this broken sense that I've got I've to conform because I, I'm, I'm created for community, I'm created to blend in, I'm create, I mean, to belong, and so then I want to blend in, I want to perform to do that. So conformity happens outwardly, it's an outward thing that we put on, but it's corroding us inwardly. Transformation begins inwardly and reveals our outward true pur- our, our true purpose outwardly its transformation begins inwardly here's the problem with transformation and i love that that god in his divine sovereignty chose to put these words in paul's mind of that what we're growing in is the fruit of the spirit and if you have a fruit tree I was talking to a guy actually at CA this past weekend who has an orchard up in the Central Valley. And, and I was, he's starting to do avocados. And he said that, um, he said that, I said oh, something about, I don't know, I was asking him about it, irrigation things. My family had orange groves when I was growing up, so we were chatting about this. And, uh, and he said, oh, he hasn't really seen any fruit because it's avocados it's gonna take a number of years. And I thought, oh, that's me with gentleness. <laughs> I'm an avocado. But it's in there, it's growing, right? But that's that's where I think we're tempted to conformity because we want it quick. We wanna look different quickly. And true transformation begins inwardly and then it starts to show up outwardly and it starts to show up in the believer, it starts to show up looking like Jesus, right? On the retreat, we talked about this word of transformation, that it's the same root word that was used uh, for the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured. It's al- also the word that we get the word metamorphosis from. It's it's not just, I think, I feel like that gives us some sense of, it's not just um, change transformation, it's transfiguration transformation, which is more like... Um, a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's the same being and yet it looks totally different. But it takes time. Right? 2 Corinthians 3:18 actually captures this best uses that same word, says we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We all with a view of God and a view of his glory. We all who like Moses who came with an unveiled face to meet with God face to face as as if like a friend, the scripture says. We now, because of Jesus, have been getting access into the throne room of God and we, we get to sit with him. There's no veil anymore. We don't have to veil anymore. We, God actually wants us to show it. You know, uh, Moses had to kind of put a veil on because people were like, I can't handle the glory. And, and God's saying, no, they can handle the glory. Take it into your community. Take it into your culture. But he says, anyway, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory we're being transformed or transfigured or metamorphosized or whatever that word is we are being transformed into his image right with ever-increasing glory because we share the glory of God we've talked about that which comes from the Lord who is the spirit it is the work of the Spirit to transform us. It's an in internal work. It's an inside-out work. But here's the invitation, and Paul is clear with this. He's giving a command, in a sense. He's, he's not just saying, hey, there's this internal work and ho- hope that it happens. He's saying, no, 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 cooperate with the Spirit, And how we cooperate with the Spirit, I think, begins with that offering of ourselves, that surrendering of ourselves. But then I think right here, he's super clear, and he says that cooperation with the work of the Spirit is a renewing of our mind. Renew your mind, right? We're going to talk about that, but again, one little question before we do, and this will be the question that we will look at throughout this study is where do you want to invite God where do you want to invite God the Holy Spirit to transform you over these next seven and eight weeks where are you saying God change me because our leaning in our transformation it requires an intent and we've said this before I think Mark Pickerel said it and probably someone else said it before him we can't change what we won't name And so we have to name it. Where do I want to grow? What do I want to lean into, right? And then what does this renewing of the mind look like? That's the third thing. I believe it is how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It must be intentional. It must be named. It won't just happen. You see, we have too many things bombarding us, too many images bombarding us, and so we, we so desperately need to be intentional to transform our mind and how we think. If you want to change your life, you have to change your mind. If you want to change your life... You have to change your mind. I know that to be true, and isn't it hilarious? Last night I taught on this, and I went home, and it stupid me, looked at email, and my mind went crazy, and I barely slept last night, and I was just like, Lord, this, and I'm literally, I'm laying in my bed going out loud, Lord, this is hilarious. I'm teaching on renewing the mind, (laughs) and I am not renewing my mind right now. I am spinning my mind right now. So I, you know, pulled out the, like, let's read some scripture. Let's read some utmost for his highest. I'm just like, Lord, put something in me, you know, that's truth, because my brain is just my word. If you want to change your life, you got to change your mind. And we got to do that through some practices. So I'm just going to suggest um, three practices that have been helpful to me there's others even last night as my mind was spinning I was like oh I should have said this and I should have said this and I should stop it Cheryl (laughs) but the first work that we have to do and it really is I'm going to call it a work not even a practice because it's a work but it's so necessary if I want to transform my mind if I want to change my mind I have to do the work of self-awareness I have to know, last night as I was laying there, I have to know what triggers me. I know, have to know what gets me spinning. I have to know the lies that I tend to believe. I have to understand my wrong thinking. Calvin, John Calvin, the great reformer, said, There is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And there is no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. Augustine had this prayer. It's a good one. He said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself that I may know you. Because as we, some people say, well, I don't want to do self-awareness. I don't, Christians don't need to do therapy, all this stuff. We just need God and the word, right? But here's the thing. If I'm not self-aware, I don't even know where I need God. I'm not aware of how much greater he is than me. I'm not, I'm not convinced of his power apart from knowledge of self, right? And then as I know him, I have a greater true understanding of myself. So it's kind of, and that's what, that's what John Calvin was saying, it's kind of this circle. We have to know where we're tempted because where we wound others and where we wound ourselves has been birthed someplace, right? It may have been and often it is birthed in our family of origin. But sometimes it's not necessarily birthed in our family of origin. It was birthed in junior high, um, elementary school. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you might have wonderful, fantastic parents—not um, perfect, no one does—but but you had you had a situation that started to form and shape and put lies into your head, or create insecurities, or fears, or or put in you systems of of survival, if you will. You may have had something happen to you that, again, might have been outside of your family system or it may have been inside of your family system, but we have to be aware of what has shaped us. Certainly, we know the theological truth that we are born into sin. I love one philosopher describes sin as being bent inward. But we're not bent inward for a transforming self-awareness we're just bent inward towards a selfishness right we have been shaped by families good and bad and if we grew up in chaos then chaos is our norm And I need to know that about myself because if I grew up in chaos and that's my norm, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, when things are peaceful, I'm going to look for chaos or create it because peace is not peaceful to somebody who's grown up in chaos. Chaos is their peace, but they can't figure out why they're always in chaos, and then they go to the victim, and they're the victim of everybody else who created the chaos, and they didn't even realize, oh my gosh, I actually look for, thrive in, and create chaos. Good thing to be aware of, right? If you grew up under addiction, alcoholism, workaholism, which might have looked prettier, but, you, but that, was a, that was in your home, pornography, you have been shaped by that, right? It has shaped you. If you grew up with fear, anger, rage... It shaped you. It might be your go-to, or it might be your like I'll never go anywhere near that, and then you become incredibly passive. You know, it's shaping you one way or the other, right? If you grew up with no conflict, right? Never, I hear people say, you know, never saw your parents fight, all that kind of stuff, and then you entered into conflict. You uh, went to junior high. Um, you keep bringing up junior high. You, um, you, you got a job. Uh, you, you got married, uh, you had a 13-year-old, you had conflict, and you're like, I don't even know, what, who does conflict? We didn't do conflict, we just, you know. Or you had where conflict was dealt with in such a strange way. I remember I had a student uh, in our student ministry years ago in Texas who her family, the way her mom and dad did conflict, and so she, this is what she did in college, um, was if they started to have a fight, one of them would get in their car and drive away and come back the next day never talk about it that's just how they did so she's living in an apartment with a bunch of girls and uh, they get in a conflict over the dishwasher or whatever you get in the conflict about right and she just gets in her car and drives away (laughs) and then comes back the next day and her roommates are all like whoa (laughs) and she's like I don't know that's what I thought you did Like, don't you think it's good, like, you know, to get away? Like, not get into the anger? You know, she had it all worked out in her mind. I'm like, no, that's not a great way to handle it. So, because I grew up in a family, we did conflict. So, (laughs) we had other things, but we did conflict. That was fine. Um, (laughs) I'm saying, no, don't run away. Um, If you've experienced rejection or loneliness or passivity, right, feeling abandoned, it's shaped you. If lies have been spoken over you or seeped into your mind, even if they were nonverbal, this idea that you felt like growing up you were never enough, you weren't your brother, you weren't your sister, um, you got into uh, you know a stage where you weren't the pretty girl you felt like you were the ugly girl or you, you were the girl who no one you know never got invited to anything or didn't get invited to the dances or whatever and you went to the stage and you just began to believe this is what's true of you you're unwanted you're not enough you're not pretty enough you're not smart enough you're not whatever enough and it shaped you On the other end, maybe you were the pretty girl and the smart girl, and, and that's, all you th- that's, w- w- that's all you think you are. I'm just the pretty girl. And then you turn 40, and it's like, <laughs> how do I keep that up? You know, things are going down, baby. <laughs> things are going down. <laughs> if negativity and criticism were the stream that you swam in growing up, it has shaped you. So self-awareness, and this is what I wanna suggest, as we do self-awareness, we desperately need community. We desperately need community. No one, I don't become self-aware in isolation. Where, where have I become most self-aware? Um, I've been single all of my life. I've had about 192 roommates. They have helped me be self-aware right i live by myself now so i feel like i'm awesome but but having people speak things into your life right having family speak things into your life having coworkers speak things into your life it can be painful but it is the place of growth and transformation And we have to be aware. I I was thinking about this even. I've done therapy. I love therapy. But I was realizing even even in therapy, here's the only problem with therapy, is that the only version your therapist has of you is your version. That's where community, that's where family, that's where people can help you. Because I go to a therapist, I tell her my version of me. I tell her my version of the people that I have conflict with. I tell her all my version. I need community, right? And I got to be aware of how I talk and how I define myself as well. Words, I think Tom Hughes said this, probably again, somebody else said it too, but words make worlds. And this is something that I've been also becoming aware of. Um, I want to be self-aware because we need to be, we need to say, you know what, this triggers me, you know, I tend to be like this, but we also don't want to be stuck, and so if I just am living with, well, that's just the way I am, I'm, um, I'm critical, oh, you know, this is the way I am, you know, I tend to, um, I tend to be angry, you know, I'm just, I power up, you know, I know I'm kind of intimidating, I want to change the language of that, you know, I'm a child of God. You know, I'm growing in patience. I'm seeking to become more gentle. I'm seeking to be more joyful. So be careful, because if you're always defining yourself, and we live in a world that loves to define ourselves, you know, all the time, well, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. You might need to shift it if you want to grow. Because if you're always saying, well, I'm just that. What you're saying is, I'm just that, don't expect anything more from me. So be careful of that. And all of self-awareness, again, it is a deep work. I think it is a work and it has to stand upon. If I'm going to do the work of self-awareness, I have to stand on God's love for me. I have to know that the one who matters most to me is crazy about me, loves me, adores me, is so for me, is holding me. And so if I know that, I can say I'm sorry. I can move towards change. I can own my stuff, right? But if I don't know that he loves me, if I'm not convinced, and if it doesn't matter to me, then I can't say I'm sorry. I can't own my stuff. I have to be a victim to everything around me. So we have to stand on the love of God. And so the, the second thing, and, and this is, I kind of alluded to it, of community, is discipleship. We need people in our life we need others who walk along and do the journey with us. We don't just follow Jesus by reading books. We do it together. That's what discipleship is. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. To be discipled is to have someone who's modeling and mentoring that to you. If you want to learn how to pray, if I want to learn how to pray, I find someone who prays. I don't just read books on prayer. I want to sit with people who, and I don't want them to just tell me how they pray. I want I hear them pray I want to have it modeled for me if you want to be kind to your spouse you need to find couples who are kind to each other I hear people say that all the time they're like my husband and I went to dinner with so-and-so and oh my gosh they're so nice to each other and as we were driving home we were like we should be nice to each other right <laughs> because here you had two people who maybe grew up in family systems had never seen this and they didn't know that you could be married to someone and be nice to them it was like, and, and, and so, you know, what I found is people will say that to me, and they'll say, like, we're just trying to, we're trying to get as much time with those, those people as we can because we want to be like that, but we got to see it. We can't just read a book on marriage. We, I mean, that's good too, but we got to see it. How are people kind to one another? How are people encouraging? How does a spouse affirm their spouse publicly? I need to see it, right? You need to see it. If you want to discipline your children with wisdom, with compassion, with courage, find a parent who does it. You know, you're at the playground, You see a mom doing it so well, you're just like, hey, I'm just going to stalk you for a little bit. I just want to see how No, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's better if you know the person, but, but <laughs> find them. Find them and say, I need, to, I, need to, I need to see how you do that, how you discipline without rage, how you discipline um, with strongly yet compassionately, you know, all those things. That's, that's, that's all hard stuff, right? So we need models. Um, if you want to grow in your job, find somebody who does it better. We, we need to not just read about it, we need to see it. And then the last thing, real quickly, is we do need holy habits, If we want to change our thinking, we have to lean in. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. And so we need to have habits that help us align with the mind of Christ that has already been given to us. Colossians 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind. How do we get there? How do we set our mind? And that's where, again, I think holy habits, the habit of silence and solitude. Friends, you've got to fight for it. You have to fight for it. If you have little ones, you need to pay your husband to just be with them for an hour so you can have silence and solitude. I mean, it might be some of his money too, but you pay him and you make it, ha- you fight for it. And you do the same for him. You say, you I, you get silence and solitude. We've got to fight for it in our world, in our culture, right? Ruth Haley Barton said, "We are." she wrote a book called Silence and Solitude, by the way. We are starved for quiet to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. We need Sabbath. I need Sabbath. I'm on a roll. I've had one in a row right now, (laughs) Friday, but I'm going to work on it because I need to shut up and I need to slow down. I need Sabbath. I need rest. I need a day that's just that, that I'm, I'm able to. And again, I know that's harder with kids. It's easier with a dog. Um, but, um, but even if it's a Sabbath, it's like a three-hour Sabbath, not an all-day Sabbath. But you've got to find places of rest. Or it's a Sabbath that's with your family. It's the beach. It's fun. It's, it's rest. It's refreshment. It's hiking. It's those kind of things. We need the Scripture. We need the Scripture to speak and transform our mind. We need prayer. We need habits of of listening to God, not just talking at God. We need worship. We need to show up in corporate worship, especially on those days when we don't even want to worship, but I need to hear the people around me worship. I need to be saturated with songs of adoration and truth. I need my view of God to be increased. I need the habit of surrender. Surrender, we sometimes only think of surrender in the big things. But we need the habit of it. So the habit of surrender is surrendering in the little things. Every day I surrender something. I, descend, I surrender my sense of entitlement. I surrender my need to be right. I surrender um, s- s- say, having to say something. I surrender um, the way I load the dishwasher. I don't, you know, you're just surrendering things, right? So that when the big thing comes, it's, it's already it's a habit. It's in you. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. The word there for be still, I just learned this, I thought this was so cool. It literally means let go of your grip. Begin to have holy habits that help transform your mind. Begin to step into, you're already doing it by being here, but into community and discipleship to help you grow in your self-awareness, that you grow in your God-awareness. And your God-awareness increases your self-awareness. And in the end, we find ourselves slowly, slowly, slowly changing. Father, that's our prayer. That's my prayer for us even today. Would we be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ? I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.